If you had a dream to play professional basketball, would you keep pursuing it? If you got cut from your high school basketball team on day one of your freshman year, day two or day one of your sophomore year, you get cut from the basketball team during tryouts your junior year, and in your senior year, you don't even get a chance to play the game. Yeah, you make the team, but nobody even gives you a chance to play the game. Would you keep pursuing your dream or would you just say, I guess I'm not good enough? I'm going to make this a little bit harder for you. What if you go to college, but you don't get a scholarship? You have to walk on, you work hard. And when college is over with, nobody is calling you. Nobody is interested. Would you still pursue your dream? Because my guest on this episode of Unbeatable, Dre Baldwin, didn't give up in spite of all of those setbacks and ended up playing ball for almost 10 years. This episode of Unbeatable will fire you up when you hear from this guy who played professional basketball and started to coach and to lead others as like an online entrepreneur, Dre Baldwin. Before we get into the interview for this episode, I want to invite you to go with me on the trip of a lifetime, and that is not an exaggeration. I've spent more than the last year building a tour of the Holy Land that never existed before. This is what we're calling the unbeatable adventure, where we're going to repel, we're going to climb cliffs, we're going to ride mountain bikes through the countryside, we're going to swim in the Dead Sea, we're going to climb trails, we're going to spend nights under the stars and spend days in luxury hotel rooms, we'll be in fishing boats on the Sea of Galilee. This is basically everything that you could want to do with action and adventure in Israel, plus all of the world's great historical sites there. And the dates for this trip are March 17th through the 27th. I want to invite you to come along. We built this trip so no matter where you live in the world, all you need to do is buy plane tickets and show up in Israel on day one. And from there, we pay for and we take care of everything. Hey, if this epic tour sounds like something you're interested in, why don't you go over to Signature Tours and search for the unbeatable Holy Land Adventure with Jeff Struber. Starts March 17th and it runs until the 27th. I would love to see you there with me. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Hey, Dre, thank you for being a guest on this episode of Unbeatable with me. Hey, Jeff, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. How are yeah, you? I can tell that you uh, prepared by the by the fact that you put on a coat and tie, man. I'm really impressed because <laughs> I normally wear a T-shirt. So you're classing the place up for us today. Oh, happy to do so. <laughs> yeah, man, you are an athlete. I like uh, I'm starting to do your, some research on you. And this is a guy who is athletic, who's got athletic talent, 
but your story is not about talent, man. It's about hard work. Can we talk about uh, what it took to get to the point that you're playing ball professionally, basketball professionally? Um, well, I guess we should just start with like, when did you actually get a contract to start playing professional ball? At, at what, what, what age, what point were you in your career, your basketball career? I was 23 years of age when I got my first uh, contract. So I graduated college at age 22. So my first year out of school, I worked just a couple of regular jobs, Jeff. So I worked at uh, Foot Locker. All right. As I know Foot Locker. Yeah, you were wearing yeah. the white and black stripes. Yeah, everybody does, even the manager. So I was yeah. an assistant manager. And I, right. I did that for about half of that year. And then the other half, I was working at a gym called, excuse me, called Bally Total Fitness. Yeah. And I was selling memberships. Now, Bally's okay. out of business now, but not because of me. I uh, all right. I, I remember Bally too. Um, yeah. So, so that's that's what I did that year. And then I went to, had to go to an event called an exposure camp, Jeff, because it's not like uh, teams were not calling me at that time. So I needed to get some, draw some attention to myself. So I went to this exposure camp. You ever heard of those? You know what they are? Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah, it's like a job fair for athletes. And I went to that, played pretty well. You got to pay to go to it. I paid, played pretty well. And through that, that, excuse me, I was able to leverage my way towards that uh, pro basketball opportunity. Um, I want people to hear like there are some superstars in college that, uh, you know, everybody's clamoring for them to leave school so that they can they can offer them a contract. But for a lot of players uh, in all professional sports, you kind of work your way onto the team by hard work. We've had more than one professional athlete on this show, and every one of them say, man, it is just a grind from my earliest days. You grew up pretty athletic. Um, I mean, as I'm looking over your resume, you played baseball, football, basketball. You ran track. And by the way, I love track. So tell me what you did in, in track. Well, um, let me see. So when I was in middle school, I was going to get on – the track team because I thought uh -huh. I was pretty fast. And then I went to one practice and I found out I wasn't that fast. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as far as sprinting, as far as sprinting, but uh, later on, I found out that, you know, literally and metaphorically, Jeff, I'm better at distance, distance running, like mid distance. So. You and me too. Um, I ran track and I ran the longest distances that I could. And if there was anything longer, I would have ran that mm -hmm. one. Yeah. I'm more, I'm more like a 10 K type of guy. So that's about 6.25 miles. That's yeah. about my, my, uh, that's your sweet best, spot. What'd you say? That's your sweet spot? Yeah, it's about the sweet spot. I've done a couple marathons, but I'm not a, uh, and this is as an adult. This is not in school. So I never, I was never officially on a track team in school, but I still like to run. Even to this day, I still like to run, but about 10K. Well, I love your story because I want people to hear for you, it was hard work and staying at it and disappointments that uh, one after another that you had to overcome in order to start playing ball professionally. The fact, the reason why this podcast is entitled Unbeatable is because mm -hmm. it is guys just like you, Dre, that have had some real hard knocks in life. So mm -hmm. you settle on the game of basketball, but would you describe in detail what it was like in high school and even college trying to play ball and all of the disappointments that you experienced um, in high school and college? Sure. Well, I'll tell you a few of them. I don't know if you have enough time. Uh, for yeah, all well, of them. OK, sure. All right. So when it came to high school, I just started. I really had just got to basketball about age 14, which is the start of my freshman year of high school. And the school that I went to, I'm from the city of Philadelphia. At the time, my school school only had one team. It was just the varsity basketball team. And the coach was like, he was a health 
class slash gym teacher during the day. And he was a basketball coach after school. And we didn't even have, he didn't even have an assist, excuse me, an assistant coach. And it was just the head coach and everybody tries out for the team. So mm-hmm. in Philly at that time, every young man tries out for the basketball team. And my fr- freshman year, I tried out, didn't make it, got cut on the first day. Sophomore year, actually my freshman year, I'll tell you a quick story about that. The school that I went to is uh, George Washington Carver High School of Engineering and Science in Philadelphia. And it, the school that we were housed in at the time was actually a converted elementary school. They made it into a high school. And the reason why that matters is because the gym was a very yeah, small. Yeah, sure. I was going to say, small. I can imagine what the gym was like or the, yeah. the athletic facilities. Well, we didn't have any athletic facilities. Yeah. We had a gym. <laughs> All right, that's what we had. There was no, there right. was no grass. At, at, play, at one time, we went out to this big slab of concrete. There was no grass. All right. So anyway, in the gym, the gym is so small. It definitely wasn't a, a uh, like full-length basketball court, not even close, about half of it. And the sidelines, there was no space. There were no bleachers in our gym. So if you went to the game to watch the team play, you stood along the wall and the sidelines were like literally right. So someone dribbled the ball up the sideline. You could reach out and touch them. That's how close you were to the court. And this is where we went four years. That was my high school. So my freshman year, I'm watching the coach because I'm like, I know I don't have to beat out all these kids. I just got to impress the coach. So I'm looking for what he's looking for to make the team. So I noticed if somebody made one shot, he would kind of be impressed. So I'm like, all right, I got to do is make one shot. So my freshman year tryouts, I only shot the ball one time, Jeff. And the one time I shot the ball, the basketball hit the ceiling of the gym. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I love this. So I told you this is a small gym. So the ceilings yeah. were kind of low. They were lower yeah. than they should have been. So yep. you're going to shoot a jump shot in there. It had to be like perfect. It had to be a flat trajectory, arc. right? Yeah. If you shot with too much arc, the ball would hit the ceiling. So my shot yeah. hit the ceiling. Uh, needless to say, I did not make the basketball team that year. So uh, sophomore year, tried out again, got cut on the first day. Junior year, I thought I was ready to go. So by this point, if, you know, if I got a running start and everybody got out the way, I could dunk. All right, so I was I was starting right. to become much better, and I heard that you know Michael Jordan, he didn't make his high school team, so he was a junior. That's so, right. Yeah, Jeff, I was still on track to be the greatest player of all time at this point. Yeah. So I go, Jordan, yeah, I go, look out! Here I come! Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm right on the same path. So I tried out that year and didn't make it either. So that year I just happened to get I got in a bad matchup. I think I was a much better player by my junior year, but I got in a matchup with a, a senior who was physically stronger than me. And I had never lifted any weights at that time. So he just posted me up and just kept scoring on me. And I couldn't stop him. So I didn't make the team that year. Senior year, I finally made the team. And I had a, I had great seats the entire season, front row, right on the bench, uh, yeah. watching all the games. So uh, getting out of high school, no one would have predicted that I was going to keep playing basketball. I, I at least may, had made the team. I could say I did that and that, it was over. Most people would have reasonably said it's done. You're done with basketball. I was going to college as a just as a person, as a student. I was going to go to college. So I figured I, let me just try to walk on wherever I go. I happened to go to a school, Penn State Edmonton, which is now Division three. At that time, it was what they call provisional D3, which meant you only play two years. If you go there, you can only play two years of sports. So everybody was a freshman or a sophomore. So I went there, made the team, started as a freshman. So All obviously right. I was getting better. Right. But this is a very small, this is a small pond. So I was yeah. kind of a medium sized fish in a small pond at Penn State Abington. Played, didn't set the world on fire, but I was you know, good enough to be a starter. Season ends. I just kept coming to campus because Penn State Abington's campus doesn't have dorms, Jeff. So when you go to school there, you live at home and you travel to campus every day. And since I had access to the gym, this is the first time in my life I ever had access to a gym, indoor gym all the time. So I would drive up to the campus 20 minutes every day from my parents' home to use the gym just because I had access. Because after the season ended, I never saw any of my teammates ever again. 
because my teammates who I played with there, these guys were not ambitious about basketball. Yeah, they were, yeah. um, they're playing because they can, not because they are. Most players at the D3 below, they aren't, they're not thinking NBA, NFL. They're just playing because they can. So after the season, none of these guys came in the gym again because they didn't care about it like that. So I would be in the gym all the time. Never saw those guys. School ends. I'm coming up to the campus in the summer. So anybody been on college campus in the summer is just a beautiful place. It was empty. Nobody there. So I'm about to go work out one day. I hadn't eaten any food. So I walk across the campus to the cafeteria. Penn State Abington's built. Penn State Abington's campus has four buildings. Gym, cafeteria, and two buildings for classrooms. That's the whole campus. So I walked across to one of the other three buildings, cafeteria. I get some food. I'm walking out. Some guy just approaches me, start asking me questions about what position I play. And I don't know this guy. And Penn State Abington is a very small campus. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think people are watching this on this is on video. Yep. Watching this video? Yep. Okay, so people watching this on video because I'm a black guy. I knew all the black people at Penn State Abington. Ain't that many of us. All right, so this black guy walks up to me, start asking me questions about what position do I play? I know I don't know this guy and I've never seen him before. So I'm like, what are you talking about? And we start up a conversation. He starts asking me about my major. He's an older guy. He's like my parents age. And he pulls out a business card. It turns out he works at a different Penn state branch campus. Penn state has 23 campuses. Wow. Now he worked at Penn state Altoona, which happened to be a full fledged division three campus at the time. And they're the second biggest campus to the main campus. So people who follow sports, the football team, that's the main campus division one. Penn State Altoona is the second biggest campus, and this guy worked there. Now, he happened to work in the admissions office, which I didn't really care about. So this is why I, I don't know why he's talking to me, but he had two jobs. His other job was he was the head basketball coach All right. at Penn State Altoona. And turns out he didn't even know who I was. So it's not like he had just snuck up on me or anything. He had just saw me walking by. He told me this later that he saw me walking by. And he, he figured that I looked like. I fit the profile, the type of player he needed for his roster the following season. And that's why he approached me. It was only after we talked that he went and did his due diligence to find out who I actually was. So that's how I got recruited to Penn State Altoona. And I finished out my four years at Altoona. You looked like the kind of guy that I might want on my team. I don't have the first idea who you are, but hey, man, here's my card. Let me look into your background a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So he kind of did it backwards. Uh, it turns out he was right. I was pretty, I was a good basketball player. So that's how I ended up at Penn State Altoona. I love this story, Dre. For all the, for all the listeners right now, listen, you're talking to a guy who's played sports professionally, but he gets turned down day one of his freshman year, day one of his sophomore year, doesn't make the team his junior year. And only in his senior year does he get a chance to sit on the bench, but not really play the game. Anybody else, Trey, would have just said, well, I guess I'm not that kind of a ball player. I guess I'm never going to be able to live my dream. But the fact that you go on and play ball at a school where you can walk on um, is in itself setting you apart. And it also says that you're a guy that's not going to give up on your dreams. But that's right. It was it it wasn't automatic. I mean, you didn't get invited to come to the um, to to play professional ball. You have to pay money to to go to a camp. So between finishing school and Mm -hmm. getting picked up to play professional ball. Tell me about that year where you're working at a gym, working at a shoe store and realizing my dreams may never come to pass, man. Yeah, so that was that was a a big inflection point that year. So I graduated college in two thousand four. Didn't start playing. I graduated college like May two thousand four. Didn't start playing pro till about September two thousand five. So it's about a year and change that I was not playing. And 
I remember getting home from college and my parents are like, um, you know, you're back at your parents' house. You graduate from college. They're like, well, what are you going to do now? You have your degree. And I said, I'm going to try to play pro basketball. And that conversation didn't go too well because <laughs> my parents knew my everything I told you. They saw it. They had watched this whole thing. They came to a couple games and watched me watch the game. And they were my parent. My mother was mostly doing most of the talking. She's in education. So her whole thing was she wanted to make sure that her children went to college, got a yeah. degree because she hadn't sure. been able to get her degree because right. she dropped out to raise kids. Right. So we got a degree or my sister's a year older than me. And we had degrees and now she's like, well, use, use the degree. Go get yourself a good job. You know, do all the things that she couldn't have done because she had two kids at a very young age. We didn't have kids. So, and she's like, and she doesn't know anything about sports. And my dad, I mean, he's a sports fan, but he doesn't know anything about actually playing in the sport professionally. And then my mom was just like, everything she said was absolutely right. She's just like, look, you got a degree, you know, you need to get yourself a job. You need to go get yourself an apartment, get yourself a car, you know, move out of the house. You know, <laughs> yeah. Time, time for had. you to grow up and start yeah, adulting. Exactly. exactly. So everything she's saying was right. I had braids at the time. She said, need to get a haircut, you know? So she's just telling me all the stuff that, you no, know, all the adult things, like you yeah. said, and everything she said was reasonably and logically correct. And I did concede one point. I do need to go get a job and do something because right now I don't have any prospects for playing pro ball. Cause she asked that, well, do you have a, do you have any prospects for getting this job that you say you're going to get? Just anything that anyone would ask if you say you're about to go do something as a job. Well, how are you going to get the job? I had no plans. So that's how I ended up you know, going to get that job at Foot Locker. So I worked at Foot Locker for about six months, bought me a car and this was out of the, uh, um, right. if you, I think you may be old enough to remember Jeff, this is back when, you would turn to the, the classified section of this thing called the newspaper. Uh, so I remember. Under yeah. 30, Find yeah, yourself under 30 a used vehicle there. Yep. Right. So people under 30 listen to this. This thing called the newspaper we would get every day. It was it was printed out. It was before phones. Well, we had phones, but not smartphones. Right. So I bought this phone. I bought this car sight unseen. There's no pictures. It just says what kind of car and how much. And it called his number. So I called the number, met this guy, bought this car for like 700 bucks. So now I got a car. All right. Step one. Got a job. Step two. Didn't move out. But uh, then I got at the six months, I went and worked at Bally Total Fitness. And you know, I got a little membership to L.A. Fitness. I'm working out, working on my game. Yeah, and I had yeah. my eyes set on the summer, Jeff, because in the pro basketball world, these exposure events, which are basically tryouts to play pro ball, they happen in the summer. So I knew I was just going to spend that year, get in shape, work on my game. And by the summer, I'll be ready to try out to play pro ball. So that was my whole aim. So I knew this exposure camp that I was going to go to. I was thinking about it in January and I knew I just had to put some money aside. This is only $250 in cash, but listen, I'm working at Fort Locker and Bally Total Fit. It's a lot of money when you just bought a car for 700 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I saved up the money. I had negotiated with my boss at Bally Total Fitness so I can get the weekend off because that exposure camp was Saturday, Sunday, and it was in Orlando, Florida. I'm in Philadelphia at the time and we rented a car, me and a couple of my former college teammates who were also on the same path. We rented a car in Philly and drove to Orlando. That is that a haul drive right about there. 17 hours. Yeah. Wow. Right. Hopped out the car, 9 a.m. Saturday morning, which happened to be the start time of the camp. And I tell people I could get away with that at age 23. Probably couldn't do it now, but I could do it then. Yeah. Uh, 17 the hours car, of driving straight, get out of the car and start putting on your shoes playing basketball. and ready to play ball. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's what we did. Uh, played for two days. I played pretty well. Two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. Everything's on film. And that's it. That's all you get. And this is a, a meat market because 200 guys who all have the same idea. I'm good enough to play pro, but I'm not playing right now. So we're all trying to impress. 
and the audience is all scouts, agents, managers, coaches from all around the world. This is a destination type event. So I played pretty well, got a good scouting report, which is a third party validation of my ability. And I had the footage from that event. And I get back home to Philly because I had to be back at work on Monday. I negotiated for the weekend off. I had to be back at work Monday morning. Get back to work and I start cold calling basketball agents because at this point, even though I had played nice. well at the exposure camp, I had the scouting report, but it's not nobody signed me to a contract on the spot. Yeah. I still had to, I was still a free agent. So I start cold calling agents. So I go on Google, which did exist in 2005, and I just looked up basketball agents. And any agent who had a phone number, I would just call them because now I had some collateral. A year before, I had no collateral. I could have called them then, but there was I had nothing to offer them. Now I had the scouting report and footage. So I called about 60 agents who I could find information on. And I said, here's who I am. Here's what I have. Here's what I'm, I'm looking for somebody to sign me, of course. And of those 60, about 20 of them, I was able to get in touch with. And they said, send me what you have. So I would send them a link to my scouting report and then my footage. Now, the footage was not... This is not a link because this is 2005, summer yeah, 2005. You got to package something up and mail it off to them. Right. My footage is on this thing called a VHS tape. Now, you remember those. Yeah. But for yeah, most so. of the audience, that is a big old black cassette tape that, you know, you have to slide this thing in a padded envelope and mail it, mail it off. Exactly. So if you're under 30, don't know what that is, you can Google it or ask your parents. Yeah, or go to the Smithsonian and you can see one of those things. Yeah, exactly. So I... I uh, had a double-decker VCR at home. So the VCR is the device you put VHS tapes on. So I had a double-decker so you can make copies of your own tapes. So I would make copies of the master tape because I couldn't uh, give that one away. Right. And I was, excuse me, I was mailing that out in bubble mail, or like you said, to all these agents who asked to see it. And of the 20 who I sent the footage to, one of them I was able to get back in touch with, and he had a favorable you know, opinion. And he said, I'll sign you. He signed me in about maybe June or July. Of 2005 and then by late august he was reaching out and saying hey i got a team interested that was in countess lithuania so that's where i started my career yeah and by the way for those of you who don't know lithuania is playing some pretty amazing ball at this time in fact they knock off the greatest players in the world in the olympics um the the first time professional athletes from basketball play in the olympics it's the dream team the next i think it's the next time or maybe the following Olympics, Lithuania beats them in the semifinals, quarterfinal round. Um, and it shocks the basketball world, literally everybody. Like, how did Lithuania beat these guys? Yeah, it was a couple of years after. In, two, in 92 was the dream team. 96, they won, but it was not as impressive. 2000, they almost lost to Lithuania, but uh, they Lithuania missed the three-pointer at the buzzer. To win oh, the yeah. Okay. Right. And then in 02, we got destroyed in the USA, in Indiana. <laughs> and then in 2004, we got beat even worse. Yeah. And that's, that's when they started revamping the whole thing. Um, you may not be aware of this. In episode 75 of this podcast, I interviewed Coach Brendan Schur, who coached mm -hmm. professional ball for a long time, coached the dream team. Um, right. for a couple of years and sure used to talk about players and he used to say listen man i don't look for the most talent out there i look for the guy who's hard working and has character talent we can you know we can take what you've got and we can bring the best out of your talent and for the audience you're hearing a guy dre who is working hard he's saving money to buy a car putting 250 dollars on the line to go down to to Orlando and to show what I got. 
but then still is not getting phone calls. And Dre, again, man, most people give up on their dreams at this point. You're hustling yeah, and you're grinding it out and you're not trying to sell people something that you're not. You're just showing them, here's who I am. And I think I've got what it takes to play ball. And listen to this. I'm going to repeat these numbers for you. If you're driving and you missed it, he makes 60 phone calls. Well, tries to make 60 phone calls, gets 20 people on the line. And one of them says, listen, man, send me what you got and I'll give you a shot. And all of this is just a testimony to your resilience and your endurance, man. Let's be honest. You would have never played ball had you given up that freshman year of high school when you didn't get picked on the team day one of trying out. Yeah, that's that's very true. And a lot of young men, probably about around age 15, 16, where I come from, if you haven't done something in the sport, you pretty much stop yeah, being serious yeah, about it. Yeah. yeah. There's lots of people that are listening right now. They've got some dreams. They would love to follow them, but they're saying, listen, I've got other responsibilities. And what if... And you could have asked a lot of what ifs. In fact, mom and dad are telling you, hey, man, maybe it's time for you to think about doing something different than playing basketball. Thank God you didn't listen. You know, thank God you didn't give up on your dreams. How long did you play professional ball? So my career went until, excuse me, 2015. There were some no gaps in there, but yeah, through from start to finish was 2015. Your story is not just about professional basketball, though. I, I love what you've done since basketball. I mean, you kind of reinvented yourself and you reinvented yourself early on and and uh, became, you know, a, a, a voice on social media, even before social media was a thing when you stumbled across YouTube. So what happens uh, between basketball and, and the YouTube channel that you started? Sure. So that VHS tape, I knew that that footage, you can lose it. You know, if you drop the tape, you leave, leave it somewhere because it's just that footage. It's not like there's copies of it, digital copies and leave it in the sun, get it wet, whatever you lose the footage. So I took the VHS tape to an audio visual store and asked them if they could transfer it onto a digital format, which they did. They put it on a CD. I took that data CD and I that's where I went to upload the footage to this new website that had just come out and it claimed you can upload as much footage as you want on this site for free. That was YouTube.com. So it's, excuse me, this is 2005. And I put the footage up there just for safekeeping. It wasn't because I was trying to build a brand online. Yeah, that wasn't yeah. the thing to do. I wasn't trying to, get, excuse me, get known. So I put the footage out. I'm still playing ball. About six months later, I just go check the YouTube site. Is it still there? Does it still exist? And there were comments on the video that I had posted from random people who I don't know. And they were just saying things like, man, who taught you how to play? How often do you practice? You know, where do you, where do you play at now? Can you make more videos? Can you make videos about dunking or about shooting or about dribbling? And I realized in that moment that there was an underserved audience of people who yeah, wanted absolutely. to learn basketball. Yeah. Right. And they were just like me, but they were just younger generation younger than me. Cause I didn't have anybody teaching me either when I was coming up, yeah. but I couldn't have gone to, to the internet for information. They could. So I would put videos out sporadically, Jeff. It wasn't like I immediately just start coming up with a content strategy because, again, that wasn't the phrase at the time. <laughs> yeah, I'll put videos out sporadically because I'm still my main focus is playing professional basketball. Uh -huh. So I'm going back and forth between uh, pro basketball jobs, USA, and I'm traveling. I'm going different places. And I'll put videos out whenever I got around to it, whenever I felt like it. And I did this for from about 05 to about 2009. That's what I, I was doing. I played ball and I was in Lithuania, Mexico, traveling team in the USA, Germany, a bunch of different places. Then I find myself unemployed in 2009. Phone 
is not ringing. I have an agent, but the agent is anybody who's ever been in this situation. Agents is telling you, just sit tight, be ready. That's right. right. That's yep. And I had this audience online and a couple things happened at the same time. So first of all, I'm unemployed. Secondly, Google had purchased YouTube and Google's trying to find a way to make money off YouTube because YouTube is moving money this. for all, yep. all those years. Right. So they're trying to find a way to make money off it. So they start monetizing videos. So now they start putting ads on the videos. So anybody listening, believe it or not, there was a time there were no ads on YouTube videos. Yep. So they started monetizing it to make money off it. That's the second thing that happened. The third thing is I'm saying to myself, what if my phone does not ring again and I don't get another playing opportunity? What can I do? How can I combine basketball with the internet and making money? How can I do all three at the same time? Because I always had this entrepreneurial mindset going back right. to when I got introduced to you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad in my, in my college years. Yeah. Not in college, but in my college years. Mm-hmm. And I just finished reading Tim Ferriss for our work week. And he was kind of talking about similar principles to Robert Kiyosaki, but for the digital world, he was talking about how to outsource work to somebody in India who you never met and they can do work for you and how you can just leverage the internet and get more efficiency out of your work. So looking at all of that and the landscape at the time, I had an audience of basketball players who really wanted to learn basketball and they were looking to me as a source. I figured, how can I make money from this? So I started creating my own products. The first products I created, it was two of them, Jeff. One of them was... Simple to advance ball handling for basketball players. Just right. how, how to dribble. Another one was shooting. How to practice your shooting of the basketball. Two very simple, basic programs. I made them based off of the videos I had already put on YouTube for free. But I just basically laid out a program of here's a pr- practicing schedule for a basketball player to practice by themselves. That's what the programs were. They were four dollars and ninety nine cents a piece. And I remember putting these website, put these up on this website. This cheap little free hosting platform website, HTML website. And I, Tim Ferriss actually had an an experiment and I'll tell you what the experiment was. He said, you want to test out a product online, go get on this free platform, say the name of your program, say, give a little description of what it was, what it does. And then put a button that says, buy this program for, and then put your price. And if people click on that button, that means people see what it is. They know what it does and they see the price and they're interested. And on the next page, don't actually make the program, don't have it yet. Just have a little page that says, this program is under construction, but as soon as it's ready, if you're really interested, put your email address in, we'll give it to you when it's ready. And he said, go to Google AdWords, put $5 in Google AdWords and run ads for a keyword to send people to your website. Now, disclaimer, you can't do this for $5 today. You might need 50 or 500, (laughs) but back then you could do a five bucks. And I did it and I just got the keyword for like basketball training or basketball workout, something like that. And people were putting their email address in. And he said, if you get people putting in their email address, that means you have a viable product and a market for it. Go make the product and sell it. And I did that. And people were started buying my product. Now, the key thing here is you got to do it with a cold audience of people who don't know you. Because people yeah. who know you might put their email address in because they right. like you, not because yeah. they really want to buy it. Right. So I went and made the program. And then I put a video out to my audience and said, hey, I do have this new product. It's called Hoop Handbook. Still have it to this day. Go to this website, get the the program. And people bought the program. And I remember getting an email that night. This is probably late 2009, early 2010. And email said, congratulations, you made a sale, $4.99. When I made that first sale, Jeff, I said to myself, I could do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. Because what I had just done was take an idea from nothing, make it into something tangible, put a price tag on it, and exchange that for money. 
I cr- created what we call intellectual property. And I didn't know that phrase at the time, but that's what I had done. And I said, I could do this forever because I got plenty of ideas. I, I just keep making them into, into products and selling them. I could do that forever. I'm not going to be able to play ball forever, but I could do this yeah. forever. Yeah. And that's how I technically became offic- officially an entrepreneur because I was making my own products and selling them online. And that's the second thing that, so the first thing was unemployed, Google buys YouTube, start making my own products. And there's another thing to happen in the same time period. And this was the ball put players who were following me on YouTube started asking me questions about mindset because they saw I was putting these videos out all the time and working out all the time, yeah, even yeah. though sometimes I was unemployed. Sure. And I would even tell them in the comments, I would always respond to the comments like, yeah, I'm, I'm a pro ball player, but right now I'm in Miami in an empty gym because I don't have a job. Uh-huh. And they would just ask like, man, how do you, how do you keep going? How do you keep trying? How do you keep All working? Right. How do you there stay focused yep. right, when things aren't working? Or they would ask, well, Dre, I practice a lot all the time too, but then I get in the game and I freeze up. <laughs> Excuse me. So how can I get the, the confidence to perform in the game when I need to? Or they would say, well, Dre, you got cut from your high school team all those times. You walked on in college. Nobody was checking for you to play pro, but you kept going anyway. How do you have the mindset to kind of for that long-term, you know, stick to it, stick to it in this and persistence? So I started talking about that. And I would also get people asking, well, Dre, look, I might want to get known online. Maybe get known online can be a job, right? Maybe that that can be a thing. Maybe I can create my own business online and create a brand because now that was a thing. Having a brand was a a thing. I had a brand. So I started talking about that. So in answering those four questions, I came up with the four pillars of where working on your game started. Discipline, confidence, mental toughness, personal initiative. (laughs) Excuse me. And I did this by... Every Monday, because at the time, Jeff, I was just putting out basketball workouts every day, just drills to practice basketball on the court and off off the court, like training, conditioning, stuff like that. And I started doing these talking videos every Monday. And I remember I put the first one out. I said to my players who were watching me, I was in in the basketball gym. I just finished the workout. I said, I'm going to do one of these videos every Monday where I just talk to you all about a mindset piece because all you keep asking me about mindsets. So I'll tell you what I know. Because I thought it was just normal way of thinking, the way that I thought thought everybody thought like that. So I said, I'll do this every Monday. If y'all want this, I'll keep doing it. If not, it's okay. We'll, we'll just stick to the basketball. And the response is overwhelming. Yeah, keep doing it. Do the mindset stuff. So I did this every week. I called it the weekly motivation. I put out the weekly motivation, Jeff, every Monday for 400 Mondays in a row. And 400 Mondays in a row. That is row. roughly yeah. eight years. Wow. Yes. And that became the foundation of where we're at. Now, because what happened is the ball players were watching it and they said, Dre, man, the way that you talk and explain things, you know, you, you sound like a professor, you sound like a philosopher, right? You, <laughs> All you, right. Break, you break things down. So that was that kind of gave me a, an inkling that my way of explaining things could be valuable outside of just sports. Secondly, people who didn't play ball started coming into my world yeah, through these yeah, videos. Sure. They, they were just watching the Monday videos, not the rest of them. Yeah. And they said, well, Dre, I don't play ball, but... The stuff you're talking about applies to everybody. Yeah. So that planning to see like, hey, I can take just this piece and I can take this off the basketball court because I knew I wanted to do something other than basketball after basketball. Yeah. I knew I didn't want to be a coach or a trainer or an analyst. Right. I wanted to do something outside of ball because remember, I read Robert Kiyosaki. I read Tim Ferriss. Yeah. So like, yeah. I have an entrepreneur's mindset. I just happen to be a basketball player. So I knew I wanted to do something else. So that told me that's going to be this is going to be my segue. This this mindset piece that I have here. So I kept playing ball till 2015, but from 2010 to 2015, um, self-publishing is out now. So I'm writing books. I'm creating courses. 
I made like a hundred more basketball training programs. And I'm just selling them through my YouTube audience. Never ran any ads for those. And I'm just creating content. I'm writing articles and I just start to build up this name of this guy who happens to play ball, but the stuff he talks about mindset. So my non-basketball audience started to grow. So by the time I start playing, stop putting ball in 2015, I have this blended audience yeah. of people who play ball and know me from the basketball world and people who never play ball, but they like the mindset stuff that I talk about. And to this day, that's still my audience. Cause a lot of those ball players who were following me in 2008, they grew, they grew up. Sure. Many of them didn't play college ball. Yeah. Many of them didn't play pro ball. Yeah. But the, the things that they got from me through basketball are still helping them now. And they're not, non-basketball lives. Uh, so I get people who tell me, Dre, I used to follow you when I was in eighth grade. Now I'm a grown man. I got married. I have kids and I have my own IT firm and the stuff that you taught me through basketball, I'm still using to this very day. So that's how my audience became what it became. And that's uh, pretty much how we got here. I fast forwarded through a lot. But that's sure. how we got here. Well, now the, now the listening audience starts to get a picture of why you're on this podcast. It's not because we have a bunch of basketball fans that follow this podcast. That's not what we're about. But the mm -hmm. fact that you had the, I, I want to call it wisdom, man. Um, back in 2005, nobody thought, literally nobody thought about making money, putting videos online. It didn't exist. Like that world didn't exist. And in fact, even the visionaries at Google said, well, people are putting a lot of videos online. Maybe there's a way that Google can make some money off of this. And when you started doing that, I mean, you're really one of the pioneers of, um, you know, transitioning to making a brand, an online brand, because that stuff doesn't exist for years after you start making videos. I love the fact that you were wise enough to realize professional sports are going to end one day. I, I like to remind people, if you're in one of those highly athletic, very physically demanding worlds, that world will come to an end. And when it comes to an end, you better have a backup plan. And you and I both know lots and lots of very successful professional athletes that didn't have a backup plan and they're, they, they have nothing to show for it. And many of them are broke, bankrupt years mm -hmm. after leaving the game. So you're still playing professional ball when you start to transition to this brand. Um, and then the brand becomes work on your game. And work on your game is more than just basketball. So now work on your game is for everybody listening to this podcast today. Tell them a little bit more about you put, if I got my numbers right, more than 400 products and books and videos and stuff like that online. But tell yeah. them a little bit more about work on your game, you. Sure. So working your game university just came out of me as I kept talk, talking about the mindset stuff and my audience of non-athletes continued to build. I started to realize what people needed outside of the basketball world and being that I'm an entrepreneur myself. I told you I had become one when I started selling my $4.99 programs. I knew I was going to go into entrepreneurship yeah, full time yeah. after basketball. Because again, when I read Kiyosaki back in my college days, I said, that's what I'm going to do after basketball. So I knew I wanted to serve entrepreneurs. It was just a matter of how was I going to serve them. So the mindset piece was the first piece. And then I realized entrepreneurs needed more than that. They needed the, a game plan, like a plan of action, what to do, strategy, a system, some way that they could do the same things over and over again, same thing, same way every time, some type of process. And of course, many people want accountability because in the sports world, you need all those things. You need that accountability. Yeah, Someone definitely. that you know 
right? Someone that you know can you know hold you accountable to account for the things that you're supposed to do. And when you know that you have that person, you're more likely to follow through and do what you're supposed to do in every aspect, even when that per- person is not around. So those four pieces, mindset, strategy, systems, accountability is what work on your game university became you know, to be known for it. And that's what we still do to this day. So and we still we have athletes, you know, former athletes who are now transitioning into maybe careers or they start their own businesses. We have people who never played basketball, I'll say 95 percent of our people never play basketball, but they you know they may have affinity for sports. But the biggest thing is it goes back to what those ball players used to tell me when I first started the mindset videos, Jeff, is my ability to take what to someone may seem a complex topic and break it down and make it yeah, easy to understand. Sure. That's my superpower. And by the way, uh, people will tell you that the greatest teachers, professors, you know, educators on earth are the people that can take something that is really complex and make it pretty simple for everybody to understand. And it exactly. takes a lot of intellect. It takes actually a, a pretty big brain to take a complex task and make it easy for pretty much everybody to understand. Trey, exactly. you, you cranked out. A, anybody who's watching this episode on YouTube can see the bookshelf behind you and they can see that you've cranked out a lot of books and a lot of content. Can you just give everybody kind of a broad brush stroke of some of the content that you've, you've used to you know, build the brand? Sure. So when it comes to books, uh, one of my books, only one of them is a kind of a narrative, like a story. That was my first book that I ever wrote. And that was just for the ball players, just telling them about my background when I first start playing ball up through college. All the rest of them are personal and professional development stuff. So mindset stuff, uh, conversational skills, leadership skills, um, business development, personal growth. Uh, That's really what my books are all about. And that's just my leaning. That's the kind of stuff that I think about. It's the kind of stuff that I talk about. So what I write about. Yeah. Um, You talked about the four pillars that you kind of use to start uh, work on your game. Um, and Dre all day. So let's talk about those for just a second. The Unbeatable Podcast exists to just help people that are about to or in the middle of a big crisis and they've just been hit hard by life and they want to find out how do I get up? How do I keep going? How do I bounce back after this crisis, this tragedy in life? And really, you and I both know a lot of that comes from being prepared before it happens. So you talk about discipline and confidence and mental toughness and personal initiative. Will you go into some detail for us for just a few minutes about how those things working on them today can get you ready for the big challenge, the big test, the big opportunity, because that would maybe what somebody experiences in 2024, how these four things can help them get ready. In other words, just give us kind of a, a, a brief overview of those four pillars. Sure. So we'll start with discipline, which is the most important one. As people sometimes ask of all the principles, what's the most important? It absolutely yeah. is discipline. And discipline is the word nobody wants to hear, but everybody needs to have, right? Right. And everybody, if you ask them, do you want, do you need to be more disciplined in some area of your life? Almost everybody says yes. Right. The challenge is people just don't know how to go right. about yeah. uh, installing discipline. And what most people do when they try, tries, they do it the wrong way. They try to force feed discipline upon themselves. They just try to make themselves be more disciplined. And I hear this from people all the time. Well, I just need to be more disciplined or more consistent or more you know, motivated or whatever. That doesn't work because if you could just force feed it, then everybody would already and everybody have do it. Yeah, it. absolutely. Right. Yep. So what people need to understand is where discipline actually comes from. And discipline comes from structure. 
when there is clear structure in place, then discipline happens naturally. So anyone who's ever played a team sport, if the coach knew, yep. knew what they were doing, they tell you what the structure is. This is how it works. Here's when we have practice. Here's how you wear a uniform. Here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. Here are the rules. That structure, if everybody follows it, then you are naturally disciplined. And when you're at home with your parents, if your parents were strict, then they provided structure. You followed the structure. You end up in discipline. Anybody been in the military, you understand that that structure produces discipline. So I was actually talking to my assistant this morning. She was saying the exact thing, like, Jerry, the structure that we have here has helped me be a more disciplined. All right. Individual. Look at that. Yeah. All right. So structure. Structure and process produce discipline. Some people could call it a system. Structure, process, system, I'm using them uh, interchangeably here. In this context, I mean the same thing. So that's the num number one thing is discipline, showing up consistently to do the work. Hey, I want to jump in real quick, Dre. Um, this, what you're hearing for the audience, is so important that, no kidding, some of the greatest coaches, greatest players in the world, they will go all the way back to the beginning when it comes to discipline. Um, mm -hmm. There's some great, um, great uh, stories out there, and they're not fables of the very first day of practice, Coach Vince Lombardi at the pinnacle of the Green Bay Packers uh, success in the NFL, his first day of practice, he would hold up a football and say, gentlemen, this is a football. And what we're going to do is talk about how to block and tackle. Um, True story, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, when he comes out of college, the number one player in the world, or when he's coming out of high school, the number one player in the world, not sure where he's going to play ball, and he goes to play at UCLA for the great John Wooden. And the, the story is that the first day of practice every year, John Wooden gets a folding chair, walks on the, onto the court, sets the folding chair down, takes off his shoes, and says, gentlemen, this is how you're going to put on your socks. Now, of course, you got a player like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar looking at Coach Wooden like, are you crazy? I have been playing basketball for almost my entire life. And Wooden says everything about our structure, everything about the way that this team is disciplined matters. So for the listener out there, just even the way you put on your socks may make a difference. And brilliant coaches like Vince Lombardi and John Wooden recognize that. And you're hearing a pretty amazing coach from Dre Baldwin. So sorry I interrupted you, man. Let's talk confidence now. Yeah, it's perfect. And uh, I had uh, two little anecdotes there. There was some uh, military person. I don't know who it was. You might know better than I do, Jeff. He said, shine shoes, save lives. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know who that was that said that, but I remember hearing that. And also Phil Jackson, Chicago Bulls coach, uh -huh. Michael Jordan's coach. He would always teach his players during uh, training camp every year how to throw a proper pass, how to throw a chest pass, how to throw a bounce pass, how to throw a post <laughs> The kind pass. of stuff that you learned in elementary school, right? Right, the details. And he was all about the details. So uh, right, on, right on out with you on that. And that leads us right to confidence because most people, you ask them what's some internal mindset thing that they want more of. Most people know they need discipline, but they don't go looking for it. But That's most right. people want, want confidence. confidence. Absolutely. Yeah, everybody wants to be more confident. So they can believe in themselves more. Most people theorize, theorize about believing myself more. I would try more stuff. I would do more stuff. And hopefully that leads to accomplishing more stuff. So it's a good ideal to go after. Uh, ch challenges, excuse me, most people don't know where discipline, I mean, confidence comes from. Confidence actually comes from discipline. So the most confident people are usually the most disciplined people. Because they have done the work and they've shown up consistently, they've earned the right to believe in themselves. Because all confidence is a belief in your ability to do something. So when you have done a thing consistently, you pra you consistently practice.
practiced or what I tell the entrepreneurs, done your homework. Now you're confident when the test comes, right? right? Because you did work, right? yeah. you studied for the test. So that's where the confidence comes from. And that's just putting yourself out there, putting your work out there boldly and authentically so the world can see it. Uh, the, the challenge with confidence is confidence only comes from, again, it's a pr practice behavior. So you have to have practice something. So if you're doing something you've never done before, you can't really call on confidence. You don't have any. You're not supposed to have any. And instead, what you need there is courage. And that's a, a different thing. But that actually leads to the, I don't know if you have anything you want to ask on that before I go to the next one. Well, no, but I do want to add uh, for you, and you're welcome to use this um, in some of your material going forward. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the things that the Army taught me in special operations is how to shoot. And I got to the point that I was so confident that I knew I absolutely will not miss this target. And the reason I know I will not miss this target is because I have fired this scenario with this weapon at a target just like this 10,000 times. And on the 10,000th time, I'm confident now that I'm not going to miss this target. I don't even have to aim anymore. I know the, the muscle memory is there. And it's all because of that disciplined practice, that practiced behavior. Um, and that really is where the whole confidence comes from. I know I'm not going to miss this target because I have done it so many times that it's almost impossible you know, unless a satellite falls out of the sky and hits me on the head, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make this shot. I'm gonna hit this target, which mm. is where most people need to. Uh, that's that's where confidence comes from. So, man, right. um, I'm by the way for everybody who's listening at this point, I'm just giving Dre the chance to expose you a little bit to some of the amazing content that he puts out online. So, mental toughness. Um, that's what this podcast exists for. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. Sure. So mental toughness is kind of like the what I call is like the security guard for your mental health. And mental health is a big deal these days. Mental health simply just means the human condition. Right? How are you doing? How are you feeling? You know, what, what is your current state? And mental toughness is the security that plays the, the front line for how we are doing, because mental toughness is simply your ability and willingness to remain disciplined and confident, even when doing all the the right things and following all the rules has yet to produce That's the desired outcome. Yep. Right. When things haven't worked out yet, uh, can you keep going? Can you keep showing up? So a lot of the things we've been talking about here in my personal story required mental toughness many sure. times yeah. because again, most young men, you don't make the basketball team after maybe the first two tries, they stop trying. Or if nobody's recruiting you to play in college, you don't try to play in college. Or if you don't know, have any offers to play pro after college, especially coming out of a division three college, you're probably not going to do anything to try, right. try to make those offers happen. You're, because You're why? not going to spend that $250 and make a 17 hour trip to Orlando. Right. And 34 hours around trip, right. You got to come back too. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and, right. And, and the money I missed because I was working in a retail right. job. Right. So yeah. right? it's not like I got a salary. Right. So all of this stuff. And most people don't keep trying. And even then, you know, it's not, not like after I went to that camp, things immediately popped off. I still had right. to do more stuff. Yeah. Right. So, it, most people don't keep going. And I realized, I remember when I, I got invited to a, a network marketing meeting when I was in college, uh, Jeff, and this is part, part of this. And that's where I got introduced to Kiyosaki because they mentioned his name. I'd never heard of him. And they also mentioned Napoleon Hill. So I remember going and buying a pirated copy of Think and Grow Rich All right. 99 cents off of uh, eBay uh, back in the day. And in that book, Napoleon Hill said this, and I have a screenshot of it uh, saved. He said, when, if your first plan doesn't work, you replace it with another plan and another one and another one until you find a plan that does work. And he said, right here 
with a lack of persistence is where most people fail in life is that lack when your of first plan doesn't work. They don't yeah, try again. That's right. Right. And I usually ask people, Jeff, let me ask you this. If you know the answer to this, how many times does the average person try something before they quit? Uh, unfortunately in our country, it seems like about two or three times and then they're done. Yeah. Well, you're, you're very optimistic. The answer is actually between zero and one uh, right. because most people don't try at all. All right. They think about it and do nothing. There you go. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then almost everybody else, they try one time. It doesn't work. Doesn't and they work give up, for them right? and they give up. Yep. Right. All the people trying zero basically pulls the average down. So there are many people who try two or three times. You probably have some exceptional friends. But well, the, the people average that watch this, down. yeah, the people that watch this, maybe they have one or two more than the average. Sure. Right. Exactly. But their average gets pulled down by everybody else, which is yeah. brings the average down to somewhere between zero and one because most people never try. So I, I realized very early that if I just keep showing up and I'm just consistent and I keep doing the work, assuming that I have some baseline level of ability, we can't discount that. You got to have, have some ability. Assuming you have some ability and some reason to believe you know what you're doing. If you keep showing up, that can be the differentiating factor. So that's what mental toughness is about. Can you keep going even though things don't seem to be looking too good right yeah. now? Yeah, which yeah. takes us directly into the last one. Talk right. The last one is uh, personal initiative. And personal initiative is all about being a go-getter, making things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. So everything we talked about here, these four pieces are all mindset pieces. They're ways of thinking, but they don't actually do anything. You have to put all this stuff into action and actually do something. So even in just this, this bit we've been talking about here over this last uh, 50 minutes or so, how many times did I have to go and take initiative because no one was calling me and inviting me to a place, but I invited myself basically and decided, hey, let me figure out how I can make something happen here. Or at least let me give it a shot because again, and many times I had this idea and it didn't work. I tried off for high school four times. I only made it once. So a 25% success rate right? yeah. <laughs> in college. Again, I made it in college, but again, I'm only playing at the D3 level. Like, who did I have to beat out to make the team? Like, right. Nobody. Right? Nobody else was trying out. So it was just us who came to practice. And then uh, going pro, even though I had a nine-year career in the professional ranks, I reached out to more teams and more agents than I actually signed. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so... A bunch of agents I reached out to never called me back. Now, a bunch of teams I reached out to never responded. Right. So it's not like every time I tried something, it worked. And I don't want people to get that impression. I tried more things than I actually succeeded at. And when I, even with my, my resume, I, I tell people, you know, I've done four TEDx talks. Right. I've applied for about 30. Right? I've done four. All right. So it, you, people got to understand that you don't have to have a high, uh, closing percentage, so to speak in order to be successful, you just got to be willing to try often enough to get the outcomes. I mean, the, you know who has the most missed shots in the history of basketball, Jeff? Probably. No, uh, I don't. Who? Kobe Bryant. Really? Yes. Wow. But he's one of the greatest players of all sure. time. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's up there. He's somewhere well, in the top 10. I was right? just thinking the greatest pitcher in baseball also has the most people, you know, also walk the most people. The greatest hitter in baseball also right. has the most strikeouts. I mean, this is just right. true in literally some of the greatest politicians failed at every level until they, you know, made it to the office of the president or greatest business leaders that just went bankrupt a time and again and then eventually stuck with it. So you're talking right now where everybody lives. Um, right. Dre, so, 
you wouldn't be on this episode today if you didn't have the personal initiative to build a one-page website, put a button down at the bottom that says, click here if you're willing to spend $4.99 on my product. Talk about <laughs> initiative, man. That's it right there. Yes, I, I agree. And that was that was a, a pivotal day. I remember making a sale. I had a BlackBerry phone, a little red light went on. <laughs> yeah, when the yeah, light went off, you must have jumped for joy in the middle of the night. I just made $4.99. <laughs> Uh, you know, online and didn't even have to be there in person. Right. And well, first I didn't jump for joy because I didn't know what the light was blinking for. It might've been a text <laughs> message. I, you never know what's in that email. Yeah. So when I saw the email, that's when I got excited. There but then go. I said, yeah, I could do this forever. And, you know, that, speaking on the Kobe Bryant, if you were to look up on uh, basketballreference.com, the most missed field goals in the history of the NBA, like the top 50, like 45 of the top 50 are all in Hall of Fame. Yeah. All um, of the greatest players that ever lived. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And they're there in the Hall of Fame because they were willing to take the shot. And exactly. that's what we're talking about. And zero to one, uh, if that's the statistics, most people are just not even willing to take the shot because what if I don't make it? And I want to say, exactly. yeah, but what if you do? You'll never know until you take the shot. Exactly. Um, and that's where the that's where the courage comes in, because what happens is and sometimes I talk to people when I'm talking to them about uh, doing something, maybe I'm coaching them on something or they're talking about possibly being coached by me and they'll say something like, well, Dre, things sound good, but I'm not confident in taking this next step. And I had to explain to them, well, of course you're not confident. You never did it before. Yeah, you know, you've never taken new. this step. Sure. You're not supposed to be confident. And the main reason many people, that number is between zero and one is because many people were op operate off of what I call inaccurate formulas, Jeff. And inaccurate formula is when you are trying to solve a problem and you just have the wrong equation. So it's like in math class, if they said use the quadratic formula and you didn't know it, no matter what you do, you're going to get the wrong answer because you don't know the right, the right formula. Yep. Right. So the formula for someone when you're doing something that you've done before and you want to do it again, the formula is to look for your confidence because you've done this before. You know right. you can. The formula when you're doing something you've never done before is not to look for confidence because you will not find it. You need courage. And All what right. happens Here is people go. Go looking, people go looking for confidence when instead they should be looking for courage. They don't find the confidence and then they say, well, I can't do it. Then they end up doing nothing. And this is why we have that between zero and one average of how many times people try things. Yeah. I've heard this statistic uh, thrown around many times in many different uh, industries, and I'm absolutely convinced it's true. 90% of the greatest efforts on the planet, like the, the greatest endeavors on the planet, 90% of that endeavor was just showing up and just starting it. Just saying, you know what? I don't even know if this is possible. Nobody else has ever tried it, but I'm going to give it a try. The courage to start something is 90% of the effort to accomplish it. But if you're going to be the first guy to, you know, put that button on a website, if you're going to be the first guy to put some videos on YouTube, uh, you have no idea how it's going to turn out and it's going to take some courage. And when you start doing it and it starts working for you, then the courage turns into confidence. And pretty soon, man, you've got a, a winning formula. Um, Dre, I could go on for hours, but I shamelessly let you talk for the last few minutes just so that the listeners would say, I love what I'm hearing from this guy, man, and I want to hear more. So there's lots of there's a lot more content that you have, a lot more uh, material that you have available. How do people find out more about you? Sure. So I'm on every social platform that people like. So just look my name up on any one of them. I'm most active on 
Instagram, that's just my name, Dre Baldwin, all one word. Uh, as far as uh, offline, off social media, uh, workonyourgameuniversity.com. That's the best place you can find out about right. what we do. That's where all my focus is right now is the university. Uh, I do offer people a free copy of one of my books. Can I share that, Jeff? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Sure. So this book here, for those watching on video. The third day. Book, the third day. Yes. Yeah, so this uh -huh. isn't a separation of pros from the amateurs. So this is a uh, sub topic underneath of discipline. So showing up every day, doing the work. That's what this book is about. But this is not a motivational book. Motivation is for eighth graders. All right? Professionals depend on discipline and discipline comes from structure. This book is about putting the structure in place and the strategy and the systems in place in your mind and in your life so that when you reach those days that you don't feel like being there and you don't feel like turning on that microphone, you don't feel like making those sales calls, you don't feel like dealing with whoever you got to deal with, your customers or clients. This book is how do you show up and give your best effort on those days when you usually wouldn't want to do anything. That's what this book is about. I get your free copy of the paperback. All you have to do is cover the shipping. Just go to thirddaybook.com. You cover the shipping. We pay for the book. We'll send it to you free. I'm going to tell, we're going to put those notes or we're going to put that website and that address in the notes so that anybody who wants that, that copy can pick one up. You beat me to it, man, because I was about to offer to, to buy a copy and send it to somebody listening today, but you're giving it away to anybody who wants it. If they'll just pay shipping, man, I've, I got motivated a little bit from what I heard from you today. And actually I heard a couple of phrases that I'm going to carry with me. So I just want to say, man, it's a new year. There are people that have great hopes and great expectations for 2024. And I want to tell you, thank you for being on this show and giving them a few things to put uh, to work on their game with. Um, and if they want to know more, I'm going to challenge them to just look you up um, after this episode's over. But thanks for being with me today, Dre. Absolutely, Jeff. I appreciate you sharing your platform and I appreciate the opportunity. So I'm looking forward to hearing the feedback from your audience. Yes, sir. We'll see you around. Thank you. You can tell that I just stepped back and let Dre do all of the talking. And I hope that you were inspired. I hope that you were challenged. Maybe even you were, you realize I got some things to work on in 2024. That's why I brought you Dre Baldwin as a guest early this year in the Unbeatable Podcast. If you want a copy of his book, again, just look in the notes will show you the website where you can go and get a copy of his book, The Third Day, and you can get it for free. All you gotta do is cover shipping. I also wanna challenge you, would you follow us both on your favorite podcast platform? If you're watching this thing on social media, on YouTube, why don't you subscribe? If you're listening on, on your favorite podcast platform, why don't you follow us so that you get the next episode loaded as soon as it goes live. But I'm also going to ask you, would you just connect with other people, great people that are connected to this podcast, like AC Slater, they're out there on social media. And AC Slater, you are our fan of the week this week. I want to thank you, AC, and everybody who's connected to the Unbeatable Podcast. If you're looking for us on social media, you can find this podcast pretty much everywhere by searching at Unbeatable Podcast. I hope you do take Dre up on the offer. I hope you get a copy of the book Third Day, and I hope that you heard something today that you're going to carry with you through the rest of 2024. Thanks for joining me on this episode. I'll see you right back there next week. God bless.
These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable.